Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, pet lovers everywhere, and welcome to the Pet Place Radio Show. I'm your host, Marie Hewitt, and I hope your day has gotten off to a fabulous start. It was a pleasure meeting so many Pet Place listeners at Pet Expo last weekend, and I sure appreciate so many of you making the effort to figure out where we were, I know it was a really big place, and coming by the booth. I had a chance to walk around myself and see everything, and it was so much fun. I met a lot of amazing people and wonderful groups, and I was particularly impressed with a gentleman named Bruce Kripe from Canine Support Teams Incorporated. His organization is involved with bringing pets and wounded veterans together with truly happy results. He'll be stopping by shortly to explain further all the wonderful things the Canine Support Team is involved with. Then, after our halftime break, Marianne Dell has a new batch of books she's reviewed, and we'll get her take on the Pet Expo experience because she was there, too. So stay right where you are, and we'll get started with the Pet Place Radio Show after a quick message here on K-Mozart. Welcome back. You're listening to the Pet Place Radio Show on K-Mozart. I'm Marie Hewlett, and joining me now from Canine Support Teams Incorporated is Bruce Kripe. Welcome to the Pet Place, Bruce. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing really well, and I was able to swing by your booth uh, last weekend for Pet Expo, and you had a wonderful display, and I would like you to explain to our listeners exactly what is Canine Support Teams Incorporated. My pleasure. Canine Support Teams has been around since 1989 uh, here in Temecula. We have a facility on Menifee, uh, up in Menifee, but the uh, Temecula Menifee area. What we do is we we raise uh, puppies and we train them to be service dogs for wounded warriors coming back from the wars, and also for folks with disabilities. And the disabilities mm-hmm. could be physical, it could be uh, neurological, uh, seizures, those kind of things. Oh, that is wonderful. So you, your emphasis then is for helping veterans then? Veterans and, and, and folks with disabilities. We have a, a Pause for Wounded Veterans program, which is the veteran side of it, and then we have the service dog side for folks with disabilities. Wow, that is wonderful. I do want to know, though, I know sometimes when people come back from serving overseas, they come back not necessarily with physical uh, injuries, but emotional injuries. Does your program also help place pets in situations like these? Because I know animals can really help people. Yeah. Can you that's talk both. a little bit about that? It is, and that's the post-traumatic stress disorder syndrome. And we have several veterans. One of the veterans in our last class, the graduating class, was a veteran, an uh, Army medic, uh, had served in uh, Afghanistan and had been wounded and uh, suffered from that. And what it does, the dogs help them with their emotional crisis. It calms them down. It lowers their blood pressure. It allows them to go out in public with the dog as a friend, so they're not afraid of public and, and groups of people. Mm-hmm. And I'm a, I'm a retirement read major, uh, 20, 26 years service myself, so I, I totally understand what these young men are going through. And, and ladies, we had a Navy corpsman in a class uh, last year that uh, also served with Marines, and she was suffering from uh, PTSD and 
the dog really truly changed her life, turned her around. Oh, that is wonderful. Where do you get the dogs from? A, a number of places. We we get dogs from breeders. We get dogs from families who have puppies that want to give us a dog. And the third area is from some of the shelters, and we, we go and look at shelter dogs and select some of those. So the dogs are screened um, in all three places, if you will, by our dog trainers to ensure the dog has got the right personality, uh, the dog can be the right size. So they're larger dogs, golden labs, uh, Labradors in general, uh, mm-hmm. golden retrievers, uh, full-blooded uh, poodles, um, we have some Labradoodles in the program. Ah. So, so the, these are these are big dogs, big okay. dogs because they're stability. They pull wheelchairs. They offer uh, folks the physical stability to help them get up and down out of out of bed and out of chairs and so forth. Wow. So they they're they're big dogs. That is amazing. And do the people you were talking about classes? So the recipients of the dogs. Do they go through the training from the beginning of the training with the animals, or do they start after the dogs have already been trained? They start after. The puppy raisers have the puppies for about 18 months once we select the dogs, and then we we give them to puppy raisers who are volunteers, and they take care of the dogs for about 18 months so the dog grows and gets kind of his full full size. Mm -hmm. At that point, we take these dogs to the Chino uh, Institute for Women, and we have about 30 ladies in the in the prison in Chino that have been puppy raisers, uh, dog trainers, if you will, mm-hmm. for several years. They keep the dog another six to eight months, depending on the dog's uh, growth and so forth and how fast the dog learns commands and learns to be a service dog. Okay. Then we take the dogs out. We bring them to our kennel here for a week of kind of calming down and orientation. We select clients in, the, in the, how these dogs are being trained through the process. We are interviewing clients who are, are ap- applying for animals. And then we'll have a class of anywhere from 8 to 10, uh, and then the dogs will be assigned to their handlers. And then they go through a two-week training course here in Temecula, uh, in various places, the Promenade Mall, and we get them out in the community, various places, let the dogs and the handlers learn to work in the community. The interesting thing about this is that when the dogs are assigned to their their new owners. They actually the dogs select their owner. Really? How does that work? <laughs> well, it's an interesting process. The dogs just seem to know who they should be be, be belong to, mm-hmm. and the dogs are, are kind of uh, roamed around in in the building, and they just kind of they they actually select who they want to go home with. Oh, and It's wow. just an amazing process. That is very cool. Yeah, and can't explain that one, but it works. Um, we we had uh, going back to uh, one of our our corpsmen who was a female corpsman. Uh, when she was going through the process of interviewing, we let a couple dogs out inside the building when she was sitting at the table, and one dog just kind of ignored her, and the other dog, a little black lab, crawled right up in her lap, and it just totally changed her personality and her hair. Just immediately changed her whole demeanor. That is just remarkable. And, and that's her dog. You must really enjoy doing what you're doing. Absolutely, it's very rewarding. Um, we're always looking for funding. We're always looking for corporate funding to keep the program going. But, uh, yeah, we, it's, we've got a group of people here that are dedicated dog lovers and veteran lovers, and uh, I can't say enough about the team. They're doing a tremendous job. How did you get involved in all of this? Well, about two and a half years ago, um, I, I got on the board, and I got on the board because <clears throat> that we were helping veterans. And then in January of this year, um, the founder, Carol Rookmore, who's been doing this for 23 years from a wheelchair with polio and now with MS, she's done all this. She has raised and trained about 300 dogs. 
um, she decided to step down a little bit because of her, uh, of her illness and asked me to step up and take over as a CEO of the organization, and I agreed to do that. I'm a retired Marine and have the time to do it, so uh, I agreed to do that. Wow, that's fabulous. It, it must be, it must really touch you beyond yeah. words to see these, these nice stories unfold right before your eyes. And, it does. And yep. to see all the great things that happen. And, and do the, the folks keep in touch with you and let you know how their progress yep. is? Yeah, and, and we, we, we keep in touch with them because they have to have an annual uh, public access test uh, for, the, for the clients. So we, we see them. We, uh, as you saw this weekend, we had 10 or 12 dogs there on Sunday, and some were clients and some were puppy raisers. And so it's, it's just a good – it was just fun to see everybody together and, and see all the dogs. And actually, we, we, we clogged up the aisles and stopped traffic. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> What I'm also really impressed about is the fact that you work with the the Chino facility, mm-hmm. and it's the inmates, I'm assuming. That's correct. Who are working with the dogs, so you're also helping to rehabilitate people yes. and, and get them going on the yes. right track, too. We are, and some of these ladies have, have raised and trained uh, 10 or 12 dogs, and um, there has not been a single lady that's left the prison that's been in the dog program that's gone back to prison. So it helps. It changes their lives. It gives us something to love. Uh, it gives them something to be, you know, have part of on a daily basis because the dogs actually live with them in their rooms. Wow. So, it's uh, yeah, it's an amazing story. It's a win-win for everybody. It sure sounds like it, and I'm so glad somebody was able to negotiate with the bureaucracy. I'm sure that wasn't easy <laughs> to get this program started in the first place. Well, it's been going now for over 20 years. I think, no, excuse me, that program, I believe, has been going for eight years. Okay. We also have another program here in uh, in Temecula at the Southwest Juvenile Hall. We have uh, three dogs uh, in that program, two dogs in the boys' wing and one dog in the girls' wing, and wow. we're working with youth over there to uh, calm them down with the dogs, teach them how to work with dogs, teach them how to be responsible. That's a very successful program also. I bet it is. Now, if a regular person wanted to volunteer is that something that's available too sure absolutely we need people to do help do presentations people to work on special events fundraise uh, promote our ideas talk to group uh, you know different civic groups and so forth about what we do we're doing a lot of presentations with our clients with our dogs uh, at corporate presentations and rotary groups alliance excuse me american legion and places like that Wow, that sounds wonderful. And do you need puppy trainers also, or is that a volunteer position? We do need puppy raisers. We need a lot of puppy raisers. We've got a couple dogs coming in here uh, within the next week, and we do need puppy raisers. So if we can, those two things we need mostly are puppy raisers and folks that can help us raise funds for the agency. Do you have a training program? So if somebody has no idea how to do these things, they at least will be trained? They will, yeah, by our dog trainers. So I'm suspecting you have a website that has some information about all this. (laughs) Let's give that out. Okay. www.caninesupportteams.org. Okay. www.caninesupportteams.org. And that's all just one word, no space. Okay. Excellent. Bruce, we're just about out of time, but I really want to thank you for sharing a little bit about what Canine Support Teams is all about, and I wish you continued success in the future. Well, thank you for the interview. We, uh, we we're helping a lot of people, and it's an honor to 
as a veteran myself to help veterans and folks who need help. So it's a, it's a win-win on, on all sides. It sure sounds like it. We need to take a quick Pet Place break now, but don't go away. Marianne Dell, our Pet Place book reviewer, has been busy picking out animal books and reading them so she can give you all of her latest recommendations. So stay tuned for this and more here on K Mozart. Welcome back to the Pet Place Radio Show on K Mozart. I'm Marie Hewitt, and Marianne Dell is joining us now with a brand new book that she's read and reviewed for us. Hi, Marianne. How are you today? I'm good, Marie. How are you? I'm doing really well, still recovering from Pet Expo. Yes, I understand that feeling. Me too. <laughs> we'll have to talk about that when we're done uh, with the book, and and I'm going to let you uh, take over from this point. Okay, this is a book I just got. It's just been published by Dogwise, which is a company up in Washington that publishes a lot of really good books about dogs uh, for owners, also a lot of good resources for trainers. And this book is called Plenty in Life is Free, Uh and it's by Kathy Sadeo. And Kathy is a certified animal behaviorist. She has worked for many, many years with marine mammals, that's what she started her career working with, zoo animals and dogs. Wow, interesting combination. Yes. Uh, (laughs) She's a wonderful, wonderful speaker, very entertaining, very vibrant, and just, I've always enjoyed her. She's full of great information. Uh, She thinks outside the box Mm -hmm. a lot of times Mm -hmm. and isn't afraid to explain to people how her faith and what that has led her to feel works into her uh, methodologies when it comes to training dogs. Oh, very interesting. Uh, Yeah, she's a very holistic person, and I'm a big one for dog training being a a holistic pursuit. There's nothing cookie-cutter about it, although there are quite a few trainers out there who believe there's one one size fits all, if Mm -hmm. you would, when Mm -hmm. it comes to dogs. And in the past few years, one very interesting change that's taken place in the world of dog behavior is we've come to realize from talking to dog ethologists, people who study their behavior, and wolf ethologists, that our customary way of looking at dogs as basing it on the wolf pack Mm -hmm. is flawed. And there's one major reason for that. The wolf packs that have been studied through the years upon which we based our theory of dogs have been captive packs in zoos. Okay. And those groups of wolves do not act anything like wolves in the wild. Oh, okay. Because they are contained. They have a very small area. They have to fight for resources because resources are limited. They can't run miles and miles and miles and hunt, and they can't collaborate to hunt. It's a completely different lifestyle. And there is some jockeying for position in the, the, the quote-unquote alpha males and the one breeding pair and all of that that we've traditionally heard. But mm-hmm. if you read wolf ethologists like James Mack, who is a man who has studied wild wolves uh, in their natural habitat for his entire career, Mm-hmm. Wolves in the wild don't act that way. It is a much more collaborative enterprise, and relationships wax and wane, and everybody bonds together to take care of the young. Um, 
it isn't always the alpha male and female who eat first. It depends on the needs of the group as a whole. Wow, that's really interesting. Yes, and that changes a lot of what we have long thought was correct about dogs. We're coming to realize, and a lot of us came to this conclusion on our own many years ago, Mm -hmm. that a lot of the alpha roles we think we need to hold, such as going through doors first, eating first, um, that type of thing, rolling your dog on his back to show you, show him who's boss. Mm-hmm. They don't pertain, and they don't. They either aren't necessary, or they actually damage your relationship and retard the training process. Oh, okay. um, it's it's much better to have a collaborative relationship with your dog. That's not to say you can't train a dog to sit or to lie down or to do tricks or to do sports like agility and fly ball and nose work. Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, you don't really have to train nose work. You have to train yourself. But anyway. (laughs) um, And Kathy's book takes it a step further. She talks about a very common recommendation that she admits she herself has told her clients and and instructed them to do for many, many years. And we commonly refer to it as Nothing in life is free or no free lunch. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, my dog doesn't like that. See, he's barking about that. <laughs> um, it's a much more benign form of establishing yourself as a leader, wherein you make the dog or ask the dog to do something in order to get something. So if my dog comes up to me and wants to be petted, I ask him to sit first. Oh, okay. And then he can get petted. But if he comes up and I just absently put my hand on his head and pat him, well, I'm empowering him. And I'm I'm muddying the waters of who is the leader and who isn't. Well, in actuality, not really. Okay. If I want to feed my dogs and then I want to make my own breakfast, that's perfectly fine. It's not going to make my dogs think that they're better than me, that they're higher than me on on the food chain. Um it simply isn't. Yeah. You know, there are other things. Um, if my dog is a resource guarder, then I might work with having some behaviors done before he can get food. But, you know, I, on a related note, Marianne, and I, I hate to sidetrack, but my story won't make any sense if I save it. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. I feed my dogs when I first get up in the morning, mm-hmm. and they don't even look at the food because they know I'm going to make breakfast for everybody else later. Mm-hmm. And so they just hang out with me in the kitchen while I'm cooking, hoping that I might drop something here and there. Because <laughs> <laughs> so, after all, people food probably is a little yeah. better to them. Or it's additional. That's right. Yeah, we'll take the snacks, then we'll get our own. Yeah, yeah. So so it really, it makes no difference to them if they get bed first. (laughs) No. And honestly, if my dogs want to go outside, I don't want to have to walk outside every time. (laughs) I just want to open the door and let them go out and do their thing. That's right, exactly. (laughs) Okay, I'm sorry, I had to interrupt. I'll let you get back on track. So Kathy talks about how... There are other ways to work with our animals that are, again, more collaborative than asking them to do something for a reward every single time. Mm -hmm. If I have a good relationship with my dog, I love my dog, my dog loves me, we enjoy getting on the couch and cuddling together, do I really have to ask him to get on the couch in order to keep our relationship hierarchy? 
No, I don't think so. If mm-hmm. my dog wants to get up on the couch, if Jitterbug jumps up on the couch, I'm not going to put her down and ask her to sit before she comes up because mm-hmm. in the long run, that doesn't affect anything. Right. You know, I, I mean, there, there are things that you, <clears throat> excuse me, have to pick and choose. It, like I said, I was talking about resources where a dog might get aggressive if you try to take a toy or push him off the couch. But these are different issues. If a dog gets aggressive when he's on the couch, then my answer to that is, "Mm, he's probably not going to get on the couch. Yeah. Uh Um, You know, we're just going to manage that one and make it simple. But But you also want to be able to train them, too, if you have guests that come over who are uncomfortable with dogs. You wouldn't want them just jumping up on the couch and and snuggling with this person who's fearful of dogs. You want to be able to say not right now, and and have them go about their business doing other things, too. Absolutely. But you can train your dog to ask when there are people besides the family. That's a good idea. Dogs can differentiate that way. I have taught dogs that they can get on piece of furniture A, but not piece of furniture B. Oh, excellent. And they have no problem comprehending that. A couch is not a couch is a couch. (laughs) Um, You know, the couch in the living room is off limits. The couch in the den is fine. Uh (laughs) I think dogs are a lot smarter than what most people give them credit for. I think they absolutely are. They know full well who provides the food. Mm-hmm. And you can do a lot of things with food to help your dog behave. But you don't have to take it to the extreme. That's true. And I am so glad that she's put this out here and is getting discussion going about it. She's very well respected, and I'm sure there's going to be a lot of discussion about this book in the dog training community. So uh, let's have the title and the author one more time, and then yes. I want to talk to you about Pet Expo. Okay. It's called Plenty in Life is Free, and the author is Kathy with a K, Sadeo, S-D-A-O. And it's a brand-new book just yes. released. Yep. Wow. Sounds very, very interesting. Yes, it is. Thank you for, for reviewing that for us. Absolutely. Okay, so let's uh, let's go back to last weekend at Pet Expo. Before I tell you anything from my perspective, what do you think about the Pet Expo event this weekend, last weekend? I admit to not seeing a whole lot of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I walked around a little bit, primarily in the areas that had uh, vendors, so I was primarily interested in getting some dog food. And and frilly outfits for Jitterbug. And, and yeah, I refrained. <laughs> he, he doesn't he doesn't appreciate them. So um I picked up a little cowboy hat and looked at it and thought, A, she already has one of these uh-huh. in a different color and B, the day I bought it and put it on her, um, if she could have said, I will dominate you and make it so you never ever ever do that to me again. <laughs> She would have. (laughs) So I try to refrain from the cutesy outfits as much as they make me smile. Okay, okay. (laughs) But most of the time we were working. We were in a a booth with our pet partners group um, talking to people about pet therapy. Wow. Did you have a lot of people come by the booth? We did have a lot of people, yeah. I, I thought I was very impressed by the numbers of people who came through this year. In fact, Sunday was so crowded. I couldn't believe it. It was more crowded than Saturday. I was surprised at how crowded it was Sunday, too. I had to park practically a mile away. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Or felt that way, that's for sure, by the time I got to my booth. Definitely. It's always a lot of fun, though. 
And there's so many rescues and shelters and wonderful organizations like your pet therapy organization, and and I always enjoy meeting those. But but I had a few problems with it this year um, that I was a little unhappy about. For example, I have a parrot at home, as you know, it's Petey, and I know what what a huge responsibility he is, probably more so than my dogs and my cats, because he's going to live 75 years. He's ex- extremely intelligent, very social. He can't really be left alone because birds like to be with their flock or they're nervous and unhappy. So we always have somebody around the house for the most part with him. And it's a it's something you have to really research and understand. And unfortunately, I saw a bird breeder at the show this year who was giving away not one, but two large parrots as raffle prizes and and that just broke my heart because it amounted to somebody getting a bird without knowing anything about it all the safety precautions all the personality or things they need to know about and I just couldn't believe that was going on oh that really saddens me because I'm pretty sure they don't allow raffling of dogs and cats they don't absolutely not and in talking to Doug Poindexter, who heads the World Pet Association, which runs the show, um, he was talking about the fact that they were doing a reptile sale this year for the first time and was telling me about the group that they worked with, which is a national reptile uh, fanciers organization, and all the precautions they had taken to try to ensure that people who got snakes or bearded dragons or iguanas were well-educated beforehand mm-hmm. before they would allow them to be sold. Right. And, you know, I have my issues with animals being sold, period, at at a an event such as this. I wish none of it was happening. Um, but at least it seemed like there was, an, there was an effort made there to ensure that some form of education was done and to know that animals such as parrots, which, as you say, are probably one of the more difficult species to have as a pet, Mm -hmm. were just being given away to somebody as part of a raffle really saddens me, too. I have a feeling next year this this is definitely not going to be happening, and and I'm glad you talked to Doug about it. And, Marianne, you always give us so much food for thought when you come, and I sure appreciate your insight and opinions. Thanks for being with us today. Welcome. It's time to take our last break of the morning, but when we return, be ready for Pet Place News and Events here on K Mozart. We're back on the Pet Place Radio Show. I'm Marie Hewlett, and it's time for Pet Place News and Events. The Orange Public Library and History Center, located at 407 East Chapman Avenue in the city of Orange, is hosting its kids' Pause to Read program. Read with a dog from 3.30 to 4 p.m. It's a great way to get kids excited about reading, and studies have shown that kids who struggle with reading benefit enormously by reading to a non-judgmental, happy, smiling, slobbering dog. In fact, kids who regularly participate have been known to advance reading skills by one to two grade levels in a very short amount of time. For more information on this wonderful program, call 714 288 
888-242-2400. And don't forget to check our website out at www.petplace.org and send us your comments or suggestions for the show. That's all for me today. Remember, pets need love and a home, too. We'll be back next weekend here on K-Mozart. I'm Marie Hewitt. Please spare new to your pets and have a wonderful day. Thank you.